the port uh, too. Also, if you if you're going, oh, I didn't get to sign up. Um, you can contact uh, Megan Arbuckle. The, her contact information is in the bulletin there. You can contact her, and she can plug you in. Um, they're almost full. They've got it pretty set. It's going to be at Hilton Baptist Church. And if you would like to help with dinner, help with breakfast, help with, you know, check in, check out, that type of thing, they always can use people. And uh, I had one of, the, uh, one of the people that are in charge of Link and, and, and Port in, in this area, and one of the things they said was, we love your church because you bring the people you're, you say you're going to bring. They said oftentimes churches show up and go, oh, we're short, like four. Can you help us? And at the last second, they're scrambling to call people and ask them to get in there. And, uh, and talking to her, she said one time, I've never had to call concerning your church, and I appreciate that. So I appreciate it, that, but that's kind of also a subtle reminder. If you signed up, please show up. Okay, just, just want to mention that. And you'll be getting a call this week from Megan, but it's at Hilton Baptist Church. And uh, if you need more information, call the church. We can help you with that. Um, we're in the book of First John. And we've been talking about these great themes of 1 John that are going on uh, uh, throughout the book. And today we're, we're going to hit another one of those great themes. So I want to, if you have your sheet, you can look at it. I want to read that passage to you from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So throughout this book of 1 John, we are looking at some of these things that he's trying to talk about. And one of the things John hits over and over and over is, who am I? Who are you? What is our identity? Who are we in Christ? And here, he's bringing up this part of, who am I? Who are you? He's saying, first of all, you are loved. You are loved. Therefore, that uniquely qualifies you to love others. When you are loved unconditionally in this way, that gives you an ability to love in a similar way, in the same way, and affect the lives of others. But then we get to, and, and we have talked about this before, but then we get to what our culture, what all cultures struggle with. What is love? Right? Foreigner in 1984, I'm going, you know, I'm old, so, you know, I want to know what love is. Remember that, right? Or, or Hathaway, when he said, baby, don't hurt me. What is love? Or Tina Turner. Yeah, yeah. Rocking with the oldies with Bob. Here at ZX 103.7, right? It's all, it's all throughout our culture. It's all throughout our culture. People saying, we all want love. But what is it? Is it attainable? You know, it's interesting, uh, probably uh, one of the most brilliant atheists who have ever lived is a man named Bertrand Russell. And Bertrand Russell said, this biblical idea of love, everyone wants it. But it's so hard, hardly anyone gets it. No one knows how to do it. And so he said, my, my, uh, my conclusion then is it's unattainable. And so he rejects God. Because this idea of love is unattainable. And here, God is saying, it is attainable. It is available. It is possible. 
I came across this the other day. Um, years ago, I'm a big fan of Glamour magazine, so I just want you to know that. But years ago in Glamour magazine, there was a, 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 a column that you could write to them. It was called, it was called The Answer Couple. And what would happen is people would write to them about love and about, and about problems in, in relationships, and then they would give these answers, and they would publish the answers in, in Glamour magazine. And recently, and, and I don't mean this in a flippant way. I do, I do want to make sure I say this. Recently, one of them wrote an article. And the article was, don't ask me. I don't know. We're not together anymore. The answer couple's not together anymore. So don't ask me about love. And it was a very poignant article. I mean, I was, and, and you know this isn't hard to do for me, but still, I was moved to tears because here's this woman. She's pouring out her heart because she's saying, we thought we had it all together. We thought we knew the answers, and we were telling people we were the answer couple. And she said, now I'm wondering what went wrong. I'm wishing for something, and I don't know exactly what it is. And she says, I don't really know what love is, but I'm still pursuing it. I'm still pursuing it, and I still want it. And so, you know, God tells us, he, he says here, this love is possible. In 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the beginning passages, which, which uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, you hear it at, at, at weddings all the time, most of the time. But this first part, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or in angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, if I have this incredible, incredible ability to speak that is supernatural, but there's no love in it, it's just noise. It's just noise. Not too long ago, my little grandson, uh, he came, his, his mom they brought him by the church to play, and I, you know, walk out of my office and get him and play, and so I probably shouldn't tell this, but I brought him up and let him get on the drums. And it, it, I wish I had recorded it. It was the epitome of a resounding, you know, clang and a clanging cymbal because he's just wailing on anything he could touch with a stick, you know, cymbals, drums, me, himself. He was hitting everything, you know. Inf inflicting pain in many ways. And he, Paul's saying, look, he's saying, look, if there's no love in it, it's just worthless. He says, if I have the truth, the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, then I'm nothing. And he's saying, look, if I could do these incredible things, this ability to, to, to speak about the future, this ability to do incredible things that everybody's, oh, ooh, ah, unbelievable, and there's no love in it. It's just worthless. And he says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. He says, and this is, I mean, this is kind of shakes me. He says, if I even go so far in possible interpretation of that hardship is that I, I give myself I, as a martyr. And there's no love. It's, I gain nothing. There's nothing in it. And, I, and I'm scared about sometimes things that I do that maybe there's not much in it because there's no love in it. And he's saying, Paul is saying in this passage, this is the key then of what love is all about. All these other things are peripherals. They'll all fall into place if you get the love part right. Paul's saying that. John is saying that here. He's saying ultimately only what is done is in love lasts, not the stuff that gets our attention. And so, this kind of love, 
is something special. It's not a feeling that just comes and goes. <clears throat> we know biblically it's, an act, it's, it's a decision. It's an act of the will. That's why Paul can tell us, love your enemies. Because it's a decision. It's an act of the will to love your enemies. You notice he doesn't say like your enemies because you can't do that. There's someone that you don't like. You can't force yourself to have feelings of like. You can't do it. It's impossible. But you can love them because that's a decision and an act of the will. So, first point on your sheet there, the origin of love in verses 7 and 8. And verse 7 says, and 8 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. <clears throat> Excuse me. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So the origin of love, where does love come from? He's telling us there exactly what, what is going on there. He's telling us this is where it comes from. And he says, to begin with, dear friends, it really means beloved ones or ones who are dearly loved. And John is saying here, you, you are a dearly loved one. Dearly loved, not just by John, but by God. And it's like a title. He says, that's who you are. That's who you are. A dearly loved one. And he says, let us love one another. Let us is this idea, this word for, it's something we need to work on. This is something that we need to be doing continually. We need to love one another. We need to be loving, especially within the household of God. Because that was what the early Christians, that's what they said. Behold how they love one another. It stuck out. These are our brothers and sisters, so we need to care about each other. But, I mean, let's face it, it's hard sometimes to love others, even within the family of God, even within a church. There's misunderstandings, there's hurt feelings, there's disagreements, and it becomes hard. Once years ago, when I was working with teenagers, I had this young lady come to me, and, she, and, 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 and I, I had told her, I said, I, you know, I noticed I miss you. I haven't seen you in a while. And she said, well, you said something that hurt my feelings, and so I stopped coming. And I said, why, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me that I said that? I mean, I would have apologized in a heartbeat. I'd have tried to change so quickly. She said, well, I knew you were really busy and I didn't want to bother you. And that's when I was like, wait, wait, what? I'm too, too busy? I'm not too busy for that. I don't want there to be any kind of thing between me and you, between me and someone else, even in, in this church. I don't want anything to be any, any, any contention or anything like that to be between me and any of you. Because what does that do? Then that destroys something that's very precious, very precious to God, our love for one another, the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. But it is hard. I know that. We all know that. And recognizing that you can't resolve it on, 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 in your own power is, is, is a key. I mean, if we start from the very beginning, it starts with us realizing that, it, that, that we're lost and we need Jesus Christ. He came as the Son of God. He lived the life we couldn't live, that perfect obedience to God, and he died the death that we deserve. And he paid for our sins and was raised from the dead. And when I respond to that, when I accept Christ, what Christ has done for me, and I give myself to him, and I say, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then what happens is now God, his Holy Spirit comes in, and now he is established in my life, and he begins to work so that I can love like he loves. The Holy Spirit comes into my life to give power, to work, 
to give me the ability to live, to live and to love in ways that were never possible before because God is telling us over and over and over here, John is telling us over and over and over here, it is possible. It's not a pipe dream. It's not way up there. It can be a part of our life to love in that way. Now, people can love apart from God, but much of the time, that type of what is called love is basically this shallow kind of a need-based love that often takes the form of a transaction. You love me and I'll love you. You do this for me and I'll do this for you. And so we'll get along fine. But if you stop loving me, then I will stop loving you. And if you don't love me, I will not love you. And so it's all kind of a need-based, transaction-based thing. But when we accept Christ as our Savior, we are connected to the source that changes lives from inside out. Paul talks about that resurrection power, the power that brings the dead to life. And he says we, have, we can tap into that. So John is saying the one who consistently and practically loves those around himself, herself, is born of God and knows God. And he gives it, he, he says this in a way, using words of intimacy. Dear friends, he says, let us love, because love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God, because God is love. And so John uses these words when he, when he says, when he says, uh, uh, let's see, let us love one another for, I can't remember where it was. Um, this idea that we know him and we love him is this idea of the abiding that he talks about a lot. John talks about it in his gospel. He talks about it in 1 John, this abiding that we've talked about, making this my home, where I run, where I find my worth, my safe place is abiding in God. And he says the person who does not love this way, they're not abiding that way. They're not connected. They're losing something. He's not saying whether or not they're a Christian. This is written to Christians. He's saying you're missing something. If you're not loving this way, you're missing something. You're missing something that is the core of who you're supposed to be. And we have to be in this habit of working on love because God is love. And the Greek makes it very clear. What is he saying there? That at his core, the very essence of God is love. It's not God is loving it's God is love. That's what he is. He can be no else. There's nothing else that he could be. He's love. And this emphasizes God in an incredibly practical way. You know, the Greeks had this, this thought of God, their gods, they weren't moral. They weren't interested in their daily lives. They didn't care what they did with their time. It was just all about giving an offering at the right time. And oftentimes, the whole point of giving an offering was to just make sure this God didn't do something bad to you. You were just asking to be protected. Just protect us from you. Here's some money. Here's some offering. Just let me go. And so they didn't have this idea that their gods were in any way interested in their personal lives or cared about their integrity or how hard they worked, or, 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 or you know, how they, how they, what they did with their body, what they did with their time, and all of these things. There was no, no concept of that. And yet here we have this God who's practical and personal. He cares about every aspect of our lives. We see it in this passage and in this whole book because personal behavior here is the emphasis. Why does it matter if I love someone? Why? And John thunders, because 
God is love. And to not love is to disavow him in your life, to deny him and the work that he's doing in your life. To not love is to be against what he's doing. Now, this doesn't overrule the other aspects of God. He cares about justice because he is love. He cares about truth because he is love. He gets angry because he is love. And this liberates us. This liberates us to be ourselves. Love became flesh and blood, the incarnation. So what does love look like? Look at Jesus. Now, I want to stop for a moment, and I want to tell you, I think this is overdone by a lot of people, but we're going to talk about Greek words for love because it is something we have to address. You know, English is, 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 a, is a great language in some ways and is a very poor language in other ways because I love my wife and I love pizza. And I have to use the same word for love. It doesn't express the same thing. And so then we look at context. Well, Greek has a little bit more to work with. First of all, there's, and, and this is just really quick, okay? So don't, first there's uh, eros. And eros is just a sensual love. It, the, Greek, uh, the Greeks really weren't, didn't think a lot of it, especially the Stoics, because eros was this kind of idea of love out of control. Um, but it was a love that was about getting. What's in it for me? All right? The second I want to introduce you is storge. Now, storge is just natural affection. Um, I'm close to this person. We just naturally get along. We have similar interests, so we naturally get along. And storge is not a bad word for love. I mean, it's a great word because what does it express? It expresses that thing of, well, you know, I like certain things. This guy likes certain things. Oh, we get along. You know, I'm from Washington, D.C. This person likes the Redskins. We get along. This person likes Dallas. Mortal enemies. Just mortal enemies. No, that's not true. <laughs> and so what is it? It's just a natural affection. And then we have the two that you'll hear the most about oftentimes, phileo and agape. Now, I want to say this before I put anything down there. Phileo and agape are both held up in Scripture as exemplary. They are often used interchangeably. One is not better than the other. We, we have to be key about that, but context is key when we interpret them. But they are both describing God's love for us. And let me just, just a little bit of how they do it in, from a different angle. Phileo is a closeness due to relationship. It's like family love. All right? He says we should love each other as brothers and sisters. And sometimes they use agape for that love, and sometimes they use phileo for that love, and they're talking about the same thing. Why? Because those two words express that feeling of love. And so phileo is this close, closeness due to relationship. It's, a, it's, a, it's often used as family. And an agape is a sacrificial love, and it manifests itself even when there is no relationship. And see, there's the little bit of the key. When there's not a relationship, it still loves. It puts another ahead of yourself, not based on the relationship we have, but based on my decision to love you. And so there's a little bit of a difference, but those two words are often used together or for the same uh, same idea. But what we have here is we look through 1 John is we have agape over and over and over. This sacrificial love. This sacrificial love that does not depend on a prior relationship. 
Ephesians, uh, uh, Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We had no relationship with him that was of mutual love like a family. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And see, that's this agape love. And this is the word for love that John, John loves this word for love. He loves it. And he uses it over and over because he wants them to get that. This word for love illustrates what heaven will be like. It's how Jesus lived. He walked up to people that he had no relationship with and he loved them. He served them. He sacrificed for them. And this love is very close to what we would call courage oftentimes. There's a, uh, a war journalist named Sebastian Younger, and he was mentioned in a TED Talk one time a while back. And he wrote about how does war teach soldiers about love. And one of the things he made, an interesting, interesting point, he said, what do soldiers struggle with the most when they come back home? And he goes, it's not PTSD. He said, that's terrible. It's a terrible thing, and it has to be dealt with. But he says what the soldiers miss the most, why do, and, and his point was, why do sometimes they, they want to go back to this hell of combat? And he says, why? And he said, because they found brotherhood. They never find it in civilian life like they found it in war. And he said, one soldier told him, this is what it is. It's a mutual agreement to put the safety of others ahead of your own safety. And Younger says, why does one soldier jump on a grenade to save his friends? And we look at that and we say, that is so courageous. And it is. And Younger says, that is love in action. He has put the welfare of other people ahead of his own welfare. And so he, his point is, courage is simply love in action. And one of the things he said was this, most warriors do not love war. They love the experience of brotherhood that is so powerful and is never found outside of war. And God is saying, it can be found. It can be found. There is this love that comes from God because he is love. So the origin of love and now the example of love. This is how God showed his love among us. So we have the example. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So he brings up a lot here. There's a lot to go through. But God demonstrates his love. He demonstrates it. He shows it. It becomes visible. The eye can see. Jesus is the ultimate example of a soldier throwing himself on a grenade. And all the ways that we see Jesus loving in the gospel are merely a prelude to the ultimate example of love when he died for us. You know, 
our culture, every culture, this is something we need. I mean, this is something our heart yearns for, even if we don't really recognize exactly what our heart is yearning for. We see it in music. You know, I've talked about music, and we don't want to go back to that. Um, we see it in literature. We see it in art. We see it in all kinds of ways. I mean, what's the thread that runs through the Harry Potter series? His mother's loving sacrifice of her life for him. What changed Wonder Woman when Steve Trevor gave his life to save the world? And John says we must understand the depth of God's love. He sent his son to die for our sins. But I want to say this because I would not be being truthful with you if we don't talk about this too. To understand the depth of God's love for you, you have to understand the ferocity of God's hatred for sin. Years ago, really little, one of my kids, very little, but did something, I mean, directly. We had just talked about not doing it and directly disobeyed. And I was upset. And, and, I, and I, things had been going on and it, things were a little stressful. And so I felt myself getting really upset. Um, I was feeling, you know, very Old Testament-y, very, very King Jamesy. I was, you know, the, the wrath of Bob raining down from heaven. You know, I will smite you with an everlasting smiteness. Yea, verily, I will knock us thee into yon tree, and great will be the destruction thereof. That's how I was feeling, right? I was just angry, and, and my anger was getting way out of proportion to the problem at hand, but it was like a culmination. Of thing. You know how that is? Come on, help me out here. You know, because I, I know I'm not a perfect parent, but somebody be a lousy one like me. Okay, so, and I'm doing this, and so it was one of my daughters, and she looks at me and she says, Daddy, are you mad at me? And I was like, oh, crap. Oh. oh. I said, no, honey. I'm upset with what you did, but I love you. And I said, but we have to do something about what you did. What should we do? You know, whenever you ask your kids to join you in discipline situations, it rarely goes. Their, their, their bar is so low. You know, you could take that doll away from me for a week. That's your sister's doll. I mean, I know that. What are you trying to do here? You know, but something had to be done. You did what was wrong, and you hurt someone, so something has to be done. And see, our problem is people want to think that God can just look away from sin, but that doesn't explain how it works. You know, I mean, you think about this: if someone hurts you very deeply, what has happened? If you boil it down to the essence, is someone now owes you something. They've done something now, and now they owe you something. Maybe they owe you an apology. Maybe they owe you money. Maybe they did something. Um, years ago, uh, when I was a teenager, one time I was in D.C. where I lived, and, and I was merging, you know, and, and, and there's a bunch of cars, and you see an opening come, and you go, okay, folks, let's go, and they start to move forward, and you check one last time. Well, they started to move forward, and then this person right in front of me chickened out, right? So that person stopped, and I'm looking, I go, bonk, not real bad, but I dented their bumper, and I remember I, had, I went home, and I told my dad, and he got really upset. And you know, he's, he's, you got to be, uh, you're going to have to pay for all this kind of stuff. And then I just waited, you know, on pins and needles. And 
the person never called back. They just, it was just gone. I mean, we got out and we exchanged phone numbers and didn't get back in and left because it was rush hour. And, and the person never called me back. And I remember thinking, wow, <laughs> that's awesome. That's so great, right? So God did this incredible thing in our life. And, and uh, if you ever want to hear the story, it's a cool story. God gave us, we had five kids, God gave us a van. It just, boop, God just gave us a brand new van. And, and, uh, and so one day, I'm hauling some teens around and, and here in Newport News and get to a stop, stoplight, light turns green, it starts to go and somebody hesitates, so I kind of back off the throttle a little bit. And, and the guy behind me was just really anxious, so he's like, eh, bonk. And he hit my brand new van. He hit my brand new van, and he dented the bumper. And I'm like, and you know, cars full of teenagers. It's a big van. Cars full of teenagers. Like, oh, Bob, yeah, you're gonna go. What are you gonna do to him? You know, Bob's gonna hit somebody. I can see it now. And so I get out, and this teenager come walking up, and he says, "Man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, dude. We can work this out." It's all right. You know, we'll exchange numbers. And he said, please don't call my dad. Please don't call my dad. He might kill me. And I'm going, okay, so are we literal here? Are we? <laughs> so I'm looking at him, looking at Bumper, looking at him, looking at Bumper. And I just said, forget it, dude. See you later. And I got in the car and drove away. Okay, I'm not a great person. Don't, don't, you know, it just, because I remembered being a teenager and bumping a car, because this dude had hit me almost exactly where I hit the car, so as soon as I saw my bumper, I'm going, that's familiar. <laughs> and it's like one of those times, you know, every once in a while, God talks to you, it's not an audible voice, but it was just like, okay, dude, what you going to do now? And I said, okay, man, just forget it. It's okay. I understand. Nobody tries to do these kind of things. This literally is an accident. But, okay, so I forgave him. Let me ask you something. Is my bumper fixed? No. And if it's going to get fixed, who's paying for it? Ta-da, right? I'm paying for it. What happened? Because that's what forgiveness is. Somebody harms you. Somebody hurts you. And you decide to forgive them. It's not just saying, I forgive you. It's saying, I will pay. I'll pay. There is a debt that's owed, and I will pay the debt. I'll fix the bumper. I'll fix the broken window. I'll do whatever it is. I will pay the debt. That's what forgiveness is. And that's key for us because, you know, we get people all the time, oh, just forgive and forget. That is a load, right? That's totally wrong. We don't forgive. If you've ever been hurt badly, how did the forgetting part go? Not good, right? Why? Why? Because you're still paying for it. You've decided to pay for it by forgiving the person, but paying for it is expensive and it's costly and it hurts and it's hard. And so, people think God can just look away from sin. But the nature of forgiveness goes, no, there's a debt and it has to be paid. If someone does destructive things, you can't just look away. And so it's the same thing with God. He gets angry at sin, and God has to say, because he's the judge and he's righteous, he has to say there must be justice. Because if a judge doesn't give justice, he or she is not a person of integrity. 
There's no character there. So how does God keep his integrity? How does he deal justly and yet show love and grace? Someone has to pay. And Jesus said, I will. I will pay. At some point, and you know, this is eternal stuff, and this is an infinite God, and so wrapping our little pea-sized brains around this is very hard, but let me just put it, at some point in eternity past, Jesus said, God, I will pay that debt. Send me. I will pay the debt. And then we have atonement. He was sent to atone for our sins. What is that? That's the payment. And so God's anger at sin is dealt with justly because a payment was rendered. You know, when the, when the bumper gets fixed, it's done now. I pay for it, but it's done. And I don't think about it as much because it's been paid for. Well, this is what happened. Jesus said, it's done. You know, on the cross, it is finished. That great Greek word, totelestai, the debt is paid in full. And now we're liberated from fear because justice is done. And so let me just real quick give you a couple things to, to think about when we talk, talk about God's love and how we are supposed to love. First thing I want you to see, it's visible. In verse 9, he showed it. The word there means it, to bring something to light so that it will be seen. It's going to be revealed. Biblical love is not just heard, it's seen. It's visible. It is decisive. God sent his son. The word sent there is a really cool word. The word sent means this. It means a representative who is sent with credentials. That is, miracles in Jesus' point. Jesus' uh, credentials commissioned to accomplish a specific mission on behalf of the sender. When he uses that word sent, that's what's wrapped up in that. Someone who is commissioned and sent out with credentials. Here's my papers. Here's my ID. Here's my miracles to show you exactly who I am. To accomplish a specific mission. So Jesus' miracles was his way of showing, this is how I'm qualified to die for you. This is how I'm qualified to be the person that can do this for you. Here's my credentials. And it's in the perfect tense. This is, the Greek is so great this way. It is a past completed action whose effects are still ongoing to this very day and will into the future. No end to the effects of that past completed action. When he atoned for our sins, it was complete. It doesn't need any of it to be redone. And so it's, so it's decisive. There's a decision-making process. Biblical act, biblical love is an act of the will. It's decisive. We make a decision. And with agape, the decision to act is based on the other person's needs, not mine. It's based on what the other person needs, not how I feel. So it's visible, it's decisive, it's sacrificial. Agape love, God's love for us is sacrificial. His son is what it cost him, his only begotten son. Love costs, and when love costs, it gives value to others. It, it imputes value into other people's lives by loving them. And love addresses needs. And what was our need? He says to give us life. So it's visible, it's decisive, it's sacrificial, and it's purposeful. And this ties in with our needs. But he was sent 
for a purpose, to atone for our sins. Love knows what it's doing and why it's doing it. Love understands how difficult this is. Let's not fool ourselves. If we're going to love someone who's unlovely, it's going to be work. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult at times. That's why it has to be an act of the will because you're not going to feel it. You have to decide to do it. And finally, love is judicial. It assesses the situation and addresses issues even when it's tough, not skipping over things, but actually finding solutions. That's why in other scripture we say, see, if you see a brother or a sister who's in sin, in humility, go help them. Why? Because it might be you some other time. And God saw what sin was doing and decided to act, and atonement had to be made. And this is something that had to be done concerning sin to set us free. Sin had to be dealt with to make intimacy with God possible in our lives. And so we see it. We already talked about this. It was in 1 John 2.2 2, he talked about it. If I can keep touch. Oh, thank you. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Christ's sacrifice was sufficient for, for all and necessary for all. The origin of love, the example of love, and now the outworking of love. In verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. You notice the process here. God loves us, we realize it, and then we act upon it. We begin to love others. When we begin to love others, God then lives, abides in us, and he starts to show himself to us. He says, this love will be made complete. You'll see it working. He works. And that's why he says no one has seen him, but as we love, he's, he becomes revealed. You want to see God? Find someone and love them. And then he abides in that, and he illuminates it. In John 14, 21, which I think... John may be alluding to some here. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. He says when love begins to work and it gets in action and loving people sometimes that are difficult and loving people that you don't naturally love, you don't naturally have this store gave for, you know, it's not a, it's not a family relationship, it's just, it's just somebody, it's that guy at work that bugs you to death, you know, it's that person at school who's a pain in the rear, it's that whatever it is, that neighbor, you know, whatever it is, and as you begin to try to love them, you try to show God's love to them and you do it in actions, not just in words, God says, I abide in that. And I work in that. And you will see me. See, we tend to be more interested in what God is doing in my life. And God says he's interested in showing himself by working through me into the lives of others. And he's going, Bob, you want to sense my presence? Love people. That's where I'm at. That's where I dwell. That's why I am Love. And so we have this process. We love. God abides in that. He shows himself. And then love is perfected. It's made complete. And we see it happening. And then it just gets passed on. Because that power grows. 
And when you love someone, it puts value in them, and they then become able to love others. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Help us to be people who love. Help us not to uh, rely on our feelings, but to get past them and to show a love that honors and glorifies you. And then, Lord, we have the great privilege of knowing that you're working in and through us. You're right there with us, and you demonstrate and show that. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. As they come forward, we're going to be taking an offering. Um, and I just want to say that if, if you're a guest here, please don't feel pressured to give. This is what our regular tenders and our members do as a part of their worship.